Today is in John chapter 18. And our text is a single verse. Verse 36. In order to put it into context, John 18, um, we see Jesus before Pilate. He is about to be crucified. He has been um, committed to Pilate by the Jews. And starting in verse 33 of John 18, it says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again, called Jesus, and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus said, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? This is our verse. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. My kingdom is not from here. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life that you led here on this earth. We thank you for your death and your resurrection. And we thank you for guiding us in the way. And we pray that today, Lord, that you would continue to grow us and guide us in your way, that you would open up this scripture to you, that we may look forward to the world that you are king over. And so, God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us today. I pray that you would anoint your servant Paul with um, passion for what you've laid on his heart, with clarity of thought and clarity of speech, that you would use him for your glory. And we thank you in advance, Lord, for what you're going to teach us today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. So I could have avoided a verse like this in our ongoing series on God's oaths, uh, because... The kingdom that I've been speaking about, and more importantly the Bible's been speaking about, has been an earthly kingdom set up with a throne in Jerusalem over the dynasty of David, uh, ruling over the nation of Israel in its covenanted land in accordance with Uh, Genesis 15 and other places and extending also throughout the whole earth but very much this worldly but there are verses such as this that in the minds of some people challenge that view so I didn't want to avoid it I wanted to engage it I wanted to Uh, explain it. The context, of course, has just been read out, is that Jesus is on trial for his life. Rome is the great authority, 
the ruler of the ancient world. The grip, the iron grip of, of uh, Rome will not suffer any kind of rebellion. They squash rebellion un, uh, uh, sorry, mercilessly and uh, precipitously. They made sure that people who rebelled were severely dealt with. Rome was in charge, and that was it. So what was important to Pilate was whether Jesus was the kind of revolutionary who was going to threaten his rule as the Roman governor over that province. He was concerned, therefore, with political unrest. He wasn't so concerned with what, you know, the Jewish uh, arguments over religion, whether he was Messiah or not. Pilate really couldn't be concerned about things like that. That was just minor squabbles uh, that the Jews had between themselves. And the Jews in their different views, their different schools of thought, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Zealots, um, the Essenes. You wouldn't have heard of some of these, but they're all there um, in Israel at this time. And they all had different views, and very often those views were contrary to one another. So the Pharisees despised the Sadducees, and the Essenes despised everybody else. Um, the zealots wanted to, uh, to bring in the kingdom of God through a military coup, whereas others wanted to just try to um, be as pally with the Romans as possible in order to have a quiet life and to get positions of authority and power. So Pilate knew about all of this squabbling. And to him, Jesus... And, and the, the idea of Jesus being delivered up as another teacher, another teacher of a variation of Judaism, was just another one of these squabbles. So he was concerned about the political ramifications of who Jesus was, and it was for that that he was before Pilate in the first place. We're told Pilate knew that it was for envy that they had delivered Jesus up to him. So in this cross-examination here, he is concerned with this one issue. So, let's have a look. Let's close in on this context. Uh, In verse 31, Pilate says, You take him, talking to the Jews, and judge him according to your law. You can see there that he's still looking at this as a religious idea. And they said and answered, if he were not an evildoer, verse 30, we would not have him delivered up to you. But upon Pilate's answer, the Jews say it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So it's quite clear that they want him killed. So verse 33, Pilate asks a political question. Then Pilate 
entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Well, as you can see from verse 31, you take him and judge him according to your law. Pilate initially was not concerned about whether he was the king of the Jews or not. Do you see? He was, that wasn't even a thought. So obviously others had said this thing. He had, they'd made it a political issue. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Now, Jesus gives a direct answer, but it is somewhat enigmatic here. It's somewhat mysterious. It's not misleading at all. But he's been asked whether he's the king of the Jews, and he addresses the kingdom aspect of the question. Verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. That's the uh, the phrase that we need to engage in this sermon. What on earth does he mean? Pilate, jumping down to verse 37, asks another question. Are you a king then? He wants some clarification. Jesus answers, you say rightly that I am a king. And then Jesus changes things. He doesn't continue to talk about the kingdom. Now he starts talking about why he came. For this cause I was born. And for this cause I have come into the world. That I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now, that's a, that, that's great preaching right there, okay? I can just land on that verse there and just go to town. But I'm not going to. I just want to call your attention to the fact that Jesus sees his coming into the world at his first coming 2,000 years ago to bear witness to the truth, a truth from heaven brought down to earth in his person that will be represented not just by his preaching and teaching and his miracles, but also in his hanging on a Roman cross and, of course, his resurrection from the dead. That's the truth. In that truth are the, uh, the, uh, the seeds of the answers to all of your basic questions about who you are, what this world is about, where we're going, is there any justice, is there going to be any fairness, is there any hope, is there any meaning? If Jesus is the Son of God, who is the truth, and he claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, if that is true, and he's not lying, and he's not deluded, then in his person, and in his death, and in his resurrection, is your destiny. What I mean by that is this. 
you are not an accident. Heaven has sent him to earth to be, as a man to die for you in order that you can realize who you are. Beloved of God, who wants to give you eternal life and wants to forgive you of your sins. But that forgiveness is in the person of Jesus and the belief in the truth of who he is. That's why he came. That's what must be believed. Now, Pilate answers in verse 38, what is truth? He's a relativist. He belongs in the 23rd century, doesn't he? What's interesting is that the next time that Pilate goes in and asks Jesus a question, it's in the next chapter, Jesus doesn't answer him. Jesus doesn't answer him. Why would you answer somebody who's not interested in truth? What's the point? If you don't want to know the truth, then be content with a lie and go to your death with a lie, believing it. Any lie you want, choose it. Evolution, there's a great lie for you. Believe it. It makes your life meaningless. It doesn't make an ounce of sense. But believe it, by all means. These other religions, you know, the Eastern religions that tell, tell you that this world isn't really real, isn't here. That you people aren't real. It's all a dream. And realization, nirvana is realizing that's true. We're all one. And then they go and asking you for money. Or you believe this, he came to bear witness to the truth. Now, the truth that he's been asked about, the truth that he's on trial for, is whether he is a king that threatens the Roman Empire. And the answer to that is no. He's a king, but he doesn't threaten, his kingship does not threaten the empire of Rome. How come? Well, because, as he says, my kingdom, verse 36, is not of this world. Now, the word translated world there is not the standard Greek word, which means world, which is the word cosmos. It's a different word. It really means place, okay, or realm. And if we understand it as Jesus saying, this realm that I'm in, this world with all of its evil, with uh, uh, its injustice, with its violence, with its sin, is not going to be the place from which my kingdom grows. Then we understand it a little bit more. You see, Jesus' kingdom 
is not going to be an outgrowth of all of the political machinations and all of the schemings and all of the false hopes of the politicians and rulers of this world. They are all going to be wiped away. And so Jesus, yes, has a kingdom because he's a king. But he's a king who came not to set up that kingdom, first and foremost, but to bear witness to the truth that there is a kingdom and to be crucified in this kingdom to show that the kingdom that's to come, hope you follow me here, that the kingdom that's to come is not anything like the kingdom in which he was killed. Down here, we have murders, we have thefts, we have rapes, we have child trafficking, we have abortion, we have all kinds of evil. We've got some police officers here to testify to that. They won't be needed in Jesus' kingdom. But in this realm, in this kingdom, they're absolutely necessary. And, of course, we support them wholeheartedly. So Jesus has a kingdom, but that kingdom is not of this realm. And I'm so glad that the kingdom that God's going to set up is not just a kingdom where we vote Jesus in. And it's just an extension of what goes on in this world. No. This is where I want to... uh, ask this question, the third point in the sermon, is Jesus just talking about a spiritual kingdom? Not really a physical kingdom, you know? Not a kingdom where he actually comes as a human being like he did 2,000 years ago, sits on a throne in Jerusalem, holds a, a ruler's staff, and actually dictates what the world's going to be like. Not that kind of a kingdom, just this kingdom where ethereally is up there somewhere in heaven, floating around, who knows what he's doing, okay? And just being a king, even though hell is on earth. That kind of a spiritual kingdom, you know? Where we just tell each other, Jesus is reigning, The kingdom's now, and all of this evil continues. Folks, if that's the kingdom of God, I couldn't care less whether he's reigning up there or not, because he's doing a lousy job. Do you understand? Let's just call it what it is. I could do a better job than that. So if we understand that this is not, Jesus is not reigning spiritually up there in a way that our five senses, you know, tell us there's no ruling, there's no reigning, there's no wisdom going on up here. There's no kingdom of heaven on earth right now. You know, that's what our five senses are telling us, yes? That's what our spirits are telling us. 
We need to give God a bit more credit than spiritualizing his promises. Paul in the Galatians calls this world this present evil world. That's more like it. I can get on board with that. I can understand that. And if we take that and we understand that Paul is, of course, just teaching us what Jesus taught him in his resurrection appearances, then we can come to places like this where Jesus is talking about a kingdom that's not of this realm, and we can say, ah, he's not talking about a spiritual kingdom where he's in heaven where everything's great and we're down here where everything isn't. He's talking about a kingdom that he really is going to bring to this earth, a tangible, physical, and spiritual kingdom, the one that will make a change. And it's here that I want you to turn to the Old Testament. And I want you quickly to turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 2 is the uh, dream that the most powerful ruler of the time had, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He had a dream that really disturbed him. And nobody could interpret it. It made such an impression upon him, he wanted it interpreted. Daniel was brought out as the one who would be able to interpret this dream. Let me just recite what the dream is, okay? Verse 29. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this, and he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. Then skip down to verse 31. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. And so it interprets Nebuchadnezzar as the head of gold. And it goes through the ancient empires of the world in order, predicting them just as they happened. Okay? And then down here in verses, uh, verse 42, we'll start from there. 
he reintroduces the stone. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. This is the earthly kingdom. As so, as you saw, iron mixed with ceramic clay. They will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. It's a very strange verse. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, all the kingdoms of man. And it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Question. What is the stone That's right. The stone is the second coming of Jesus to this earth. When Jesus comes back to this earth, he is going to smash the kingdoms of man. And they are going to be wiped away and no trace of them is to be found. His kingdom is not of this realm. It's not connected to the kingdoms of man. It comes from heaven. It is implemented by the power of heaven. It sweeps everything before it. And it is a king that will last forever. That's the kingdom Jesus was referring to in John 18. My kingdom is not of this realm. You don't have to be worried about me here starting a revolution. When Jesus starts a revolution, you know, it's going to be over real quick. Nobody's going to be resisting. Tanks, rockets, missiles, whatever, just fire the whole lot of them. Nukes, it doesn't matter. They're all going to be wiped away. And the kingdoms of men are going to be wiped away. And Jesus is going to set up his kingdom because he is a king as in uh, continuity to the Old Testament covenants that God made. And it's going to be imposed from heaven upon earth. Now, I would be very concerned about a kingdom that was imposed from hell upon earth. But I am not concerned about a kingdom imposed from heaven upon earth. I think that's going to be a good thing. The question is, Am I going to be there? Am I going to be a citizen of this kingdom? Because it's coming. Remember what Daniel said. It's certain. It's certain. So Jesus here, look at verse 36 again. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. He's got lots of servants. They're angels. They attended him in different places. A whole bunch of them showed up when he was born. One angel in the book of Kings wiped out an army of 160,000 people in one night. 
So, you know, just a, a little squad of angels is going to do a lot of damage if Jesus wants them to. But he, the whole plan of God is that he would be delivered up to the Jews so that he could die as a man for your sins and for my sins. That was the plan of God at the start. You're a sinner. You're on your way to hell. Before you get to hell, you stand at the judgment seat of God and he shows why you're going to hell. You agree with him after he's finished and you go to hell. Quick, easy, just all signed, sealed, delivered, good. Okay? Or you stand before God, he looks at you, and he says, I don't see any sin on you. I don't see anything that you've done wrong. Enter into the kingdom of God. What's the difference? The difference is Jesus Christ. The difference is that Jesus died in your place, and you've trusted that. And because you've trusted that, the justice of God goes on Jesus at the cross and you are cleared. That's the good news. That's the gospel. You can enter the kingdom that Jesus will set up. He says, my kingdom is not from here. No, not from this awful, tangled world that we live in. His kingdom is from there. And it's going to come here to earth. That's our hope, folks. Jesus didn't come to win a vote. Okay? In fact, if he'd have, if people, if it'd be down for people voting for him, he would have been voted out. If he comes today, uh, and he just allows a vote to be taken, he'd be voted out. That's not going to happen. The kingdom of God will come to earth and man will discover either wonderfully or in dread that men have no power when it comes to the acts of God. Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. But he bore witness to the truth. And he says, everyone that's of the truth hears my voice. So do you hear it? Are you going to be like Pilate and swat it away with an offhand remark? What is truth? If you are, when you stand before God, don't expect to be answered. You've already been given the truth. The only thing you can be expect is to be condemned. Now that's simple enough for a child to understand, and it's simple enough even for older people to understand. That's the way God puts it. I want everyone within the sound of my voice to be ready for when Jesus sets up his kingdom. This kingdom that's not of this world. The kingdom that is imposed from heaven. It's a kingdom 
folks, as we've seen in this series. It's a kingdom of righteousness. It's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of joy. It's a kingdom of completeness. It's a kingdom where there are no tears or crying or pain or suffering. It is a kingdom of joy. And yes, it's offered to you. Because the price for that kingdom has been paid 2,000 years ago just outside Jerusalem on a Roman cross by the one who is the king that's coming. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would send Jesus and please set up your kingdom of peace. Please save um, the souls of all those that are before me. Don't let any perish. We ask, dear Father, that um, we would all believe who Jesus is and accept him for who he is and rejoice in what you've done through him for us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.